0: Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Welcome. If this is your uh, first time here, first time back in a while, uh, you picked a great week to come to church today because today we're continuing in this new series that's going to carry us um, through the month of November, um, and it's called Thankful because this is really the season where we're encouraged to start to remember the blessings in life that we're thankful for. And this is really the overarching question. This is kind of the big idea throughout this entire series. And that question is this, what are you thankful for? What is it in your life that you're thankful for? So let me start today with this. How many of you would raise your hand, a little bit of audience participation this morning, raise your hand if you would like to have a more blessed life. Can you just raise your hand? Yeah, look around the room, every hand up. If your hand's not up, you're lying right now, Okay. (laughs) All of us, right? We'd all like to have a blessed life. How many of you would say, Pastor, you know, I'd love to be more spiritually blessed. I'd love to be closer in my relationship to God. Awesome. How many of you would say, I'd like to be more relationally blessed. I want a better marriage. I want some healing and some relationships in my life. Yeah, awesome. How many of you would say, I'd love to be more financially blessed. Lord, a little bit more in the bank account would be nice. Yeah, yeah. Notice my hand was up for all all three of those as well. And here's what's crazy about Jesus. It's it's pretty amazing. But Jesus actually addresses this issue of how to be blessed. In in fact, Luke, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, quotes Jesus in in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, and says this. Here's what it says in Scripture. It it says that in everything I did, in everything I did, I, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to what church? It's more blessed to what? It's more blessed to give than to receive. So if you want to be blessed, you have to learn how to what? Give. That's right. And that's from Jesus. That's not from from Pastor AJ this morning. And the reason is that our God is a generous God. I mean, look at all the things that he has given us freely in this life. The planet we live on, the sun that rises every day, the air that we breathe, our amazing brain that allows us to think and work and do things, this amazing body that he's given us, the, the people in our life who we love. We didn't earn any of that. That was all a gift from God. And then he gave us the greatest gift of all, right? He gave us his son, Jesus. We can be thankful that our God is a generous, giving God. And he wants us to be a generous people. Now, at this point, some of you are thinking, uh-oh, I think the pastor might be talking about money today. I'm just, I'm just pointing you guys to Jesus today because if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, if that's what you consider yourself to be, you need to know that Jesus talked about this. In in fact, about 15% of his teaching in scripture was on this topic, on this big topic of generosity. And, And Jesus said, if we want to be blessed, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus taught that true blessings in life don't come from the things we hoard and hold on to and from greed. But in fact, True blessing in life comes from the things we're willing to release and open up our hands for and let go of. As Christians, we must be willing to be givers. And one of the things we need to understand is that when Jesus died on the cross, church, he didn't die to just be a part of our life. He died to be our entire life so that he could be all of it. Because our God is competitive. Did you know that? He's a competitive God. See, I'm a competitive person. I like to win at everything I do. I'm not happy with second place. I think second place is first loser. Okay, I don't like participation trophies. In fact, most of my arguments with my wife, Julie, over the 20 plus years of our marriage um, has been over playing games because she's a competitive person too. I remember the first really big blowout fight we got into was on our honeymoon because we were playing chess. I won, by the way, okay? She threw all the pieces of the chessboard across the room. We we finally decided that whenever possible, we were gonna try to be on the same team for the sake of our marriage. I I mean, just last week was a challenge in our marriage. It it was a tough week for us in our marriage. And and it's not because of the storm of life that our family was going through. I mean, as many of you guys know, um, my dad passed away last week. It was a difficult week for our family. My wife, by the way, was an amazing rock and source of support uh, to me and the family through all of that, as were so many of you, by the way. Um, My sincerest thanks on behalf of my family to all of you guys. I love my church. I love all of you so much. But no, it wasn't a tough week in our marriage just because of that. It was a tough week because Julie and I were playing each other in fantasy football and she kicked my butt, and I was, not, I was not happy. It was not a good week for me. See, I'm even competitive when I play games with my kids, okay? Candyland, shoots and ladders, high ho cherry it matters not. At Monopoly, I'm willing to trade them Baltic Avenue for boardwalk because one of my younger kids likes the color purple and doesn't know the rules of the game, and I'm not telling them, okay? <laughs> I like to win, if you haven't figured that out. And see, I believe that this competitive spirit within me is a little bit of the fingerprint of God in us. God's a winner. God wants to win. He wants to be first in our lives. He doesn't want to make the top 10. He doesn't want to make the top five. He doesn't want a silver medal. He wants first place in our life. And that's why he relentlessly pursues our heart. Now, when it comes to making God first in our lives, There are three kind of big areas, I think in church world, where people just struggle with surrendering over to God. And so I'm just going to touch on these really, really quick and then dive into the meat of the message today. But number three is this, forgiveness. Forgiveness. There are people who just carry around bitterness and anger and pain from the past all the time. And I've been in church for over 30 years, and some of the angriest, most bitter people I've met have even been found in churches. Like, that's crazy. I've seen mean, bitter greeters, children's workers, board members. I've even seen mean and bitter pastors. We are called as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to love and forgive others as we have been forgiven by God. None of us are perfect. None of us deserved the grace of God, and he gave it to us freely. And we're to do that to the people around us, not sit with unresolved, angry hearts and bitterness that ultimately ultimately, is going to destroy who? Ourselves. That's right. Number two, another big area people struggle with is this, sexual immorality. There are many Christians who struggle with this sin, And let me be absolutely clear, the Bible teaches that sex outside of the marriage relationship is very, very destructive. And let me add pornography to that as well. Because some people struggle and deal with pornography addictions, and they try to justify it by thinking, well, I'm not really doing anything. Yes, you are. What you're doing is you're turning another person who is loved by God and who matters to God into simply an object for your gratification. Scripture teaches that purity paves the way for real love, real intimacy, real trust in a marriage relationship. And so this is another big idea, that, area of, of life that people struggle with. Forgiveness, sexual immorality. But the number one area that people struggle with in surrendering over to God is this. Can anyone guess what it is? Money. That's right. And again, I'm not talking about non-Christians, Okay. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online this morning and you're not a Christian, you're still trying to figure out this whole God and Jesus and the Bible thing, first of all, we are so glad that you're joining us. Welcome. And guess what? You're off the hook today because this doesn't apply to you. I'm not talking to the non-Christians. But if you're a person here who professes to be a follower of Jesus, I'm talking to you. Because less than 10% of people who profess to be Christians— regularly attend church and tithe consistently. And at the end of the day, church, it's not a money issue. It's actually a heart issue. This is what Jesus said about the topic of money in Matthew 6, 24. And again, I, I tend to just go with what Jesus said because he died and rose from the grave, and I want to be able to do that someday, so I kind of trust the guy who did. But this is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. E- either he will... Either he will um, hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. Jesus says the number one competitor with God for our hearts is money. And I would have thought he would have said Satan was the number one competitor, right? But Jesus says if you're devoted to money, if that's your number one priority, you don't truly love God. In fact, you despise God but pastor, I don't hate God. I show up to church almost every single week. Okay, the problem with that is so did the people who crucified Jesus. And Jesus said, if you love money first, you hate God. And do you know how to tell if you love money more than God? Right now, in your heart, as I began to speak on this topic of generosity, you started to feel angry. Maybe you started to feel a little guilty. And do you know why? Because right now, the Holy Spirit of God is performing heart surgery on you. And it never feels good when God starts to rip an idol out of our heart. So here's the big question today. This is our our big thought and big question for today. In your life, in your life, is Jesus Lord of some or is he Lord of all? Is he Lord of some? Does he have a peace? Or is he Lord of all? Does he have first place? We're doing this series, Thankful, for the next several weeks. And in this series, I want you to know we don't want something from you. We want something for you. We want you to live the kind of blessed life that God desires for you so that you can truly feel thankful in life to God. Today we're going to continue this series with a really unique story Um, from 1 Samuel. It's one of the greatest stories in Scripture on this topic of generosity that maybe you've never even heard of. And as we unpack the story, I I want you to know that there are three things that we can't do if we want to be able to live a blessed life and be a thankful people. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Number one is this. Number one, we cannot ignore God's Word. If we want to be a thankful people, we cannot ignore God's word. A lot of people don't like God's word because it tells the truth, and sometimes the truth hurts. A few years ago, I was uh, in the bathroom taking a shower, and uh, how many of you are parents? Can I see a show of hands? A lot of parents in the room, okay, so you get this. When you become a parent, those of you who are teenagers, middle school, high school students here, college students, when you become a parent, you lose all privacy in your life, okay? I've got five kids. My oldest is 18. My youngest is two. For 18 years, I've had zero privacy in my life. Okay, none at all. I might be sitting on the toilet. Two seconds later, little fingers are coming underneath the door. Dad, 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 daddy, dad, 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 dad. What you doing, dad? What you doing? Like the green smoke coming out from the door wasn't a sign for them of what was going on. I'm half tempted sometimes to just pull them in and let the fumes just overtake them and have them just drop to the ground. Okay, but one day. I was in the shower, and my youngest daughter, Cassidy, who was like four or five at the time, just busts into the door, okay? Just busts right into the bathroom, comes strolling in the room, and she's holding a pair of my underwear. And she holds it up. I peek my head out from the curtain. She's holding up. She said, Daddy, this is big. (laughs) This is really, really big. Is this a dress? So I spanked her. No, no, I didn't. I, <laughs> I didn't do that. I said, uh, I said, yes, Cassidy, I have a big butt and I cannot lie. Some other daddies may deny. I bet Pastor TJ I could throw a Sir Mix-a-Lot reference into the sermon. Did I win, TJ? Did I get that one? Okay. But, but sometimes we don't like hearing the truth, right? What if we left here? What if we left church today and we decided, you know what? I, I don't really like red lights anymore. I'm no longer going to obey red lights when they appear before me. Well, your life might end before you reach lunch today, right? See, authority is for our good. We can't just ignore God's word and expect to be blessed. So in Exodus, this is what God said to the Israelites in Exodus 13 verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me, Every firstborn male, the, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. The Israelites would consecrate their firstborn son, giving him back to the temple to serve God. Or or they could give an offering. They, they could redeem them and pay a price to buy that child back. Now, when God says something one time in scripture, it's huge. We should pay attention. But 16 times in scripture, God said the firstborn son is mine in the Old Testament. So now let's jump into the story today from 1 Samuel 1, picking up in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says there was a certain man from Ramathiam, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Peninnah. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. So already we know in this story there's trouble waiting to happen because this guy Elkanah had how many wives? Two men. That meant he had two mother in laws also. I just want to point that out, okay? It goes on. Verse three year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice the Lord Almighty. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give a portion of the meat to his wife Penina and all her sons and daughters, but he gave a double portion to Hannah because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. So he would go and he would, he would give some of this food to his wife Penina and her kids, but he gave a double portion to Hannah. He loved her. He felt bad for her because she wasn't able to have children. Now, Back in this day, back in that culture with the Israelites, this was considered to be a curse. If a woman was unable to have kids, they would consider that something somewhere along the line she had been cursed by God. And so this was a rough life for Hannah, but he loved her, okay? And I believe scripture suggests that Hannah may have even wrestled with this idea of giving her firstborn to God. Like like many of us, giving our first to God can be an obstacle. And I think there are two big reasons why people resist giving their first to God. I think number one is this, it's fear. It's fear. Well, if I give my first to God, what if that's the only thing I get? Hannah might be thinking, if I, give, if I get a child, if I give my first child to God, what if that's the only child I ever get? I've been waiting so long to just have one child. Fear stops us from following God's word. Number two is this, Frustration. Frustration. Hannah could have been like, God, who are you to ask me for my firstborn? Who are you to ask me for my son? To which God would be like, really, Hannah? You want to talk to me about giving up sons? You want to talk to me about sacrificing a son? But fear and frustration stop many people from giving God first place in their life. Let's look at this through the lens of forgiveness. We talked about a couple different areas that people struggle with. Let's look at this through the lens of forgiveness. The fear is, if I forgive them, they'll never pay for what they did to me. If I forgive them, they're going to get away with it. I'm condoning it. They will will never, ever, ever have to pay. First of all, the Bible says that vengeance is whose? The Lord's, that's right. The frustration is, God, you don't understand. God, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know the pain. Well, let me just say to you this morning, I want to validate what you might have gone through in your life. The pain is real. No doubt about that. You may have been wronged in your life. No doubt about that. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to forgive as God forgave us. Let's look at relationships. You're dating a crumb. You're dating somebody you know you shouldn't be. Maybe they don't even have a relationship with God, and it's, it's an unevenly yoked relationship. But the fear is, if I let that relationship go, I may not find anyone else. I may be alone forever. It's the same with money and possessions. If I give this away, I might not get any more. And the frustration is, who is God to ask me for my stuff? Well, he's God. He gave you everything that you have. Well, I work hard. I built a business. I did this. I did that. Who gave you your brain? Who gave you your body? Who allowed you to be able to do all of those things? It was a gift from God. So here's a question. In the Bible, what is the big way to put God first when it comes to our money? I'll give you a hint. It begins with the letter T. The tithe. Tithing is how we put God first. Scripture talks about tithing as the avenue to bring our first back to God. And a biblical tithe is 10% of one's income. As followers of Jesus, the first 10% is to go back to God. And this is biblical. This is in scripture. We, we sing a song called Jesus Paid It All. You paid it all, God. You paid for everything. If we truly believe that, As followers of Jesus, how in the world can we stand before a blood-stained cross of Christ and refuse to do what God asks us to do with our finances, to make him first? Now, some people argue, well, Pastor, isn't that just an Old Testament law? And that shows how little they know Scripture because, first of all, it's a biblical principle. It's not a law. And the principle of the tithe starts in Genesis 4 where Cain and Abel bring an offering to God. Abel brings the firstborn of his flock, which pleases God. And then in Genesis 14, hundreds of years later, before the law of Moses was even written, Abraham tithed to God. 50 years later in Genesis 28, Jacob vowed to give God the whole tithe. In Malachi 3.10, God says, bring the whole tithe to my house so that the people will be fed and grow closer to God. See, tithing first and foremost, affects one's relationship with God. It's a personal thing. And it also equips the church to do the work of God in the world. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. And the entire passage leading up to that verse is about money. In Matthew 23.23, Jesus validates the tithe. It's actually the one time in scripture that Jesus commends the Pharisees and the religious leaders telling them that they should tithe. That's one thing they're doing correctly. Oftentimes though, especially in the New Testament, oftentimes when referring to the topic of the tithe and generosity, people are commended for giving way more than just simply 10%. Like the account of the widow who was commended by Jesus because she gave everything she had. The very first church in the book of Acts sacrificially gave everything they had. They gave until it hurt. And many of the first Christians, here's the crazy thing, they weren't even Jewish. They didn't even culturally understand the the idea of what the tithe was all about that the Jewish people would have understood. They were Gentiles. They had no cultural understanding of the tithe. And yet, they followed the teachings of the Apostle Paul and they practiced something called priority percentage giving. That on the first day of every week, based on their faith, they picked a percentage and designated that money towards the church and God. See, this is not just an Old Testament thing. It's for all who consider themselves to be followers of Jesus. But some Christians constantly rob God with their finances, and they don't place him first. So number one, we cannot ignore God's word. If you're taking notes, number two, we cannot hold on to what God says we should let go of. James said that the word of God is like a mirror. You look into it and you make adjustments. Most of you, you looked in the mirror this morning when you got up before you left the house. I can tell because we have a good looking crowd here at church this morning, okay? You guys look really, really good. When you looked in the mirror today, you didn't do this. You didn't say, someone should fix that and then walk away, right? You didn't do that. You didn't do that at all. You made adjustments. I I was in the car the other day and I saw this really attractive woman driving down the road and she was putting makeup on. Going 70 miles an hour down the road, she's putting makeup on. Yeah, I was disgusted all right? I leaned over. I said, Julie, knock it off or I'm going to start driving. (laughs) Just kidding. I texted her. But we got to make adjustments in our life if we're going to grow as followers of Jesus and experience the full blessings of God. So here we have Hannah in this story, and she was bitter and she was frustrated. But now she starts to make some adjustments. Check this out. 1 Samuel 1 verse 9. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, in bitterness of soul, I love the imagery there, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. Have you ever had a bitterness of soul moment in your life where your heart just kind of aches? I had one in 1993 When I realized the Dallas Cowboys with Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, and Michael Irving were going to be good for a very long time, okay? Yeah, Leo's pumping his fist. Leo's a Cowboys fan. As many of you know, I'm a longtime Washington fan, and my team team was amazing in the late 80s and early 90s, okay? I mean, Joe Gibbs, Art Monk, Daryl Green. We won three Super Bowls. We had a name back then, too. It was good times for us, okay? But as Dallas became a dynasty in the 90s, I had a bitterness of the soul moment. I mean, to this day, I apologize, Leo, but if the Cowboys were playing the Taliban, I might root for the Taliban, okay? Red Sox fans, you get me. You're the same way with the Yankees, right? You understand the bitterness. Hannah had a bitterness of soul experience as she was wrestling with something spiritually in her life. And she had a moment with God one day where he just convicted her, just to her very core, and she broke down. Verse 11, she made a vow saying, "'O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon "'your servant's misery and remember me "'and not forget your servant, but give her a son, "'then I will give him to the Lord.'" for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Here's what Hannah was saying. She said, okay, God, you win. God, I've been holding on to fear. I've been holding on to frustration, but God, you win. You can have it all. I surrender. Hannah finally realized, God, you're right. I'm wrong. I surrender to you, and I trust you. And Hannah's busted up. I mean, she is at the altar just weeping during the worship service as God is convicting her heart. And the priest Eli sees what's going on and he thinks he's got a crazy drunk lady in his church. So he goes up to her and he says, woman, you're as drunk as a skunk. You need to lay off the wine. You need to meet God. This is all in the Bible, kind of a funny story. You should read it. And Hannah says, sir, I'm not drunk. I'm just bitter. And I'm working out some stuff in my life right now with God. And then the priest Eli realizes that this is a God moment going on in Hannah's life. And so he says to her, well, whatever you're asking God for, I believe you're going to get. Because you're very sincere. Picking up in verse 19. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife and the Lord remembered her. See, Elkanah and Hannah, they didn't just pray a baby into existence, right? Poof, here it is. They realized, even when they left the church that day, that there was work to be done. There was work to be done. So Hannah, I don't know what she did. She went to the, you know, to the Israeli Victoria's Secret. She lit some candles around the house, put on some Barry White music. She told Elkanah to put down the cell phone, turn off ESPN, and get to work. Hannah and her husband were willing to work, and look what God did then through their effort, picking up in verse 20. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. They worked, they prayed, and they received a blessing from God. So here's the question. Here's a big question for you today. Are you willing to work for a blessing of God? Are you willing to work in your life for a blessing of God? Some people are like, Pastor, I tried the tithing thing for a month and then I quit because it didn't work. Let me ask you, if you entered into a partnership with someone and if you knew after a month they would start robbing you, would you want to be in that partnership? Some people are like, well, I can't afford to tithe. But when the new iPhone comes out, they're first in line to get it. Or they'll go buy things for their kids that they can't even afford and go into debt. Because stuff, and pleasing people are more important to them than the God they claim to love. Let me ask you a question. If your income was reduced by 10% next week, would you die? If not, then you can afford to trust God with the tithe. And as we talked about, if your faith is too small, that 10%, that a tithe scares you, it terrifies you, then follow the model the Apostle Paul gave the Gentiles. Pick a percent where your faith is at. Where is your faith at? Giving your first 2%? Giving your first 5%? But find a place. Where could you start? Verse 24. After he was weaned, Samuel, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. Hannah brought her firstborn where? Where? To the house of the what? To the house of the Lord. We'll get back to that in a minute. Picking up in verse 27. I prayed for this child. I prayed for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. Now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, for his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. Now, some pastors start apologizing at this point in a message like this. But I make no apologies because this is straight from the Word of God. The Bible teaches that followers of God, followers of Jesus, should give their first 10% to the house of the Lord. But pastor, I give the charities, that's great. You know what anything above a tithe is called? It's called an offering and it pleases God when we help people in this world. But scripture clearly teaches the first 10% is the tithe and goes to the house of the Lord. And just imagine, just imagine for a second, If all Christians actually started to obey this biblical principle, if not less than 10% of Christians, but if nearly 100% of Christians who profess to follow Jesus actually trusted God enough with their money that they would tithe, we might be able to tell the government, Uncle Sam, we don't need anything. We got this. We can take care of the people in need in our community. Some people are like, I hate it when the church talks about money. Guess what? This church doesn't need your money. If you didn't give, next week, we'd still be here. The lights would still be on. We would still be worshiping God. You know who gets blessed by the tithe? You do, you do. The person who comes to a point in their life where God wins over money and they start to have margin in their finances and they practice generosity and live a generous life, to overcome the power of greed that that is a person who is truly blessed and that's a person who's going to have peace in their life and who will always be thankful last point and then we'll end today number 3 number 3 we can't outgive god we can't outgive god and this should really be our sixth core value as a church. We just went through a series this fall where we talked about our core values as a church. Let's see if you guys remember them. We say that loved people, what? Love people. That's our first core value. Yeah. That found people, what? Find people? Save people, what? Serve people. That's right. Growing people, what? Grow with people. We need community in our life. We're not meant to do the Christian life alone. And that change people, what? Change. We're always taking next steps. To grow in our relationship with God. But another critical truth in the Christian walk is understanding that I can't outgive God. It is impossible to outgive God. Remember Hannah? How many children had God given her? One Samuel, right? Then Hannah gave her firstborn back to God. And look what happens in verse 19. Each year, his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife saying, may the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. And the Lord was gracious with Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Hannah gave how many children to God? How many did God give back to Hannah? Five. You can't outgive God. I mean, if we offered that deal at church, how many of you would want $5 back for every dollar you gave? A lot of you, right? We're not doing that, by the way, okay? The treasurer got a little scared in the back there. We're not doing that, okay? But you can't outgive God. A- as we wrap up today, I, I want to just quickly talk about two dangerous teachings about money that preachers have sometimes twisted in Scripture, which I want to address. The first is this prosperity theology prosperity theology. Prosperity theology taught by some televangelist types over the years, say if you give $100 to God today, you're gonna have a Ferrari in your driveway tomorrow. The motivation being to give to God to make him give something back to you. That's the wrong motivation. Our motivation is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, regardless of what we get in return. He's already given us everything. Our life, the planet we live on, the air we breathe, our loved ones, our salvation through his son Jesus. So prosperity theology, vending machine God, is a false theology. It's a false teaching. And then there's another false teaching known as poverty theology. Poverty theology, which says the poorer you are, the more godly you are. That's some of the dumbest teaching I've ever heard in my life. If you've ever been robbed, if your car was stolen or, you know, you got mugged or something like that, was it the rich dude in the neighborhood who probably did that or the crack addict, right? There are a lot of poor people who I know who aren't living godly lives. And God doesn't want you to be destitute and starving. That's not his desire for you. You're his child. And scripture says, good parents want good things for their children, And God's not just a good parent, He's the perfect parent. He's the parent that some of us maybe wished we had growing up. He's the perfect parent. He wants to bless you. I told you guys, I have five kids. I want to bless them, I want to give them good things all the time. You're a child of God. He loves you, He calls you His son, His daughter. He wants to bless you. But we're called to make Him first and we can't outgive God. So the correct thinking is not prosperity theology or poverty theology. The correct teaching is actually this. It's generosity theology. It's generosity theology. Making God first in every area of your life, including your finances, and realizing this incredible truth that you can't outgive God. And again, this type of generous living, it doesn't stop with just the tithe. God commanded, you know, and, and he, he, he not only commands this idea of generosity, he commends when we are sacrificial in our giving. He, he commended the, the widow who gave everything she had. She gave all that she had. It doesn't stop with the tithe. Some of us, maybe we grew up in church. Maybe we learned to tithe from a small age. We earn $10 babysitting, we put a dollar in the offering plate. Maybe we've done that throughout our entire lives and it's just routine now. It's just ritual. It's just habit. It's just what we do. Well, if that's you, maybe it's time to challenge yourself and ask, what could generosity look like for me? What could giving sacrificially look like for me? Because again, when God is truly first in your life, you begin to realize that everything you have is from him and ultimately is his. And you can't outgive him, even if you tried. I mean, look at what he gave us. The most famous verse in scripture, John three sixteen. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he what, church? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave the tithe of his one and only son, and he received back billions of sons and daughters as people accepted the gift of salvation and adoption into his family. God can't even outgive himself. It is impossible to outgive God. So why not start being thankful for his generosity and begin living generously today? Why not give him first place in every area of your life and watch and see as you move from the smaller story of you to the greater story, the greater future, and the greater blessings that he has in store for you. Can we pray this morning, church? Heads bowed, eyes closed. God, my prayer today is simply this. Surrender. Surrender like Hannah surrendered and gave God the place he deserved. Help us, God, to be willing to surrender our heart, to give you the place, first place, in every area of our lives. For some today, it's about surrendering forgiveness that you've been holding on to some hurts for far too long. You need to forgive. You need to ask for forgiveness for your part in a wrong. For some of us, it's relationships. But for most of us, it's our possessions. It's our stuff. It's our finances. Because as Jesus taught, our money is the number one competitor for our heart with God. So in this area of your life, if today, if you're ready to say, God, I understand. There is no way that I can outgive you. There is no way that I can pay back everything that you've done for me, I'm so thankful for you, God, and for your generosity. You are the most generous, God. Help me to live a generous life. Help me to make you first in this area of my life, even if it's a small baby step. Help me, God. If that's you today, if that's your prayer today, would you just raise up a hand right now and say, yeah, that's me. God, I'm making that commitment today. God, would you help me? I'm scared. It's tough. But God, I know this is my next step. Praise God. Praise God. So many people here today responding to the Spirit of God. For some of us here, we don't need to surrender our finances because it wouldn't do any good. We don't need to surrender our morality because that wouldn't do any good. Because if you're being honest today, you know in your heart of hearts that you're not following Jesus, that you're distant from God. But God is here today and it's not an accident that you're here too. As Pastor Jim said earlier, it is not an accident. I believe you're here on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, God knew you would be with us today, either sitting in a pew or watching online. You're here because he loves you. You're here because he's after your heart. And the good news is he's ready to meet you exactly where you are and he offers you forgiveness and family and a new life in him. So why not take a first step and surrender your life to Jesus today? If that's you today, I I just wanna lead you in a prayer And, and there's nothing magical about this at all, it's just simply a way to communicate what God is doing right now in your mind and in your heart. So if today you're ready to go all in with Jesus, to make him first in your life, to ask him to be your savior, to ask him to be your Lord. And would you pray this with me? Would you pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for meeting me right where I'm at. God, I'm not perfect. I've done a lot of wrong in my life. But today, I wanna move my faith. I wanna transfer my faith off of myself and what I've done onto my Savior Jesus and what he's done for me. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he paid the price on the cross for all my sins. And I believe he rose from the grave, that he is the Son of God. And today I want to make him my Lord and my Savior. God, help me to turn from my old life and to step into a brand new life with you. Thank you again for meeting me where I'm at. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me a new life. Thank you for adopting me into your family as your son or your daughter, that you're my heavenly father. Help me to walk with you day by day, step by step, for the rest of my life and into eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate some decisions made this morning? Praise God. Praise God. As the worship team leads us, let's stand. Let's continue to sing and celebrate together. let try. Father, I pray blessings upon these, your people, this day. Lord God, as always, we pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard today from this incredible story of Hannah and Samuel, Lord God. And that you would give us the courage to actually take action, to do something with it, to make a life change, to make an adjustment so that we can move from the smaller story of us to the greater story of you. God, we don't want to just be a people who show up to church and sit in some rows each week and just do it as a ritual and then walk out of here unchanged. God, we wanna have a personal relationship with you. We wanna constantly be growing to be more and more and more like your son, Jesus. Father God, whether it be forgiveness, whether it be a battle with an addiction, whether it be with releasing something like our finances and giving you first place in that area, God, I pray that you would help us to take an action, to take a step, to make a life change, Lord God, so that you can move us to greater things, so that we can live a blessed life, that we can recognize that you are a generous God, that we're thankful for you, and that we can be a generous people, that we can be your sons and daughters. We love you. We give you all the glory, honor and praise today for what you're doing and what you're going to do in the lives of your people. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have an awesome week and can't wait to see you back next Sunday for part three of Thankful.